and welcome to Foothill Christian American Canyon. We're glad you joined us today, and we sincerely hope that you're blessed with today's message. This morning I want to start talking uh, or begin this series on uh, love and relationships, and I've titled this one this morning, Forever and Ever, Amen. How many know that title sounds familiar, right? It rings a bell, right? We're going to watch a little video here in a, in a couple of minutes, but uh, I've titled this Forever and Ever, Amen, and you know, when you went and got married, and you said your vows to each other, at some point, it, there was a part of it that said, forever and ever, amen. Now, I know, just like you do, that that doesn't always happen. Life happens. I understand that. Life happens. But the actual goal in a marriage is to be married forever and ever. Amen? amen. I didn't hear you. Amen. amen. That's better. It's a covenant. We make an actual covenant, not only with one another, but with God. And that covenant is made in the presence of God, in the presence of witnesses. And it's a beautiful thing between a man and a woman when they truly understand that's a covenant. It binds us together. It's a holy written uh, decree from heaven that binds you together. And, and I think in our day and age, in our culture, our generation has lost sight of that. The first moment they feel uncomfortable, this is not working, they're out of there. They jump ship. And I, I see some strong marriages here today. I see some strong marriages, and we all have times where we need to strengthen our marriage. Uh, all of us do. I don't care who you are. We all could use some strengthening. Amen? All of us. But how many, how many know that it's easy to fall in love? but so much harder to stay in love. Amen? Think back to when you first got married, when you first met your spouse, and you got married, and you looked in her eye, and then her eye looked at you. From across the room, you glanced at her, and you said, whoa, she's the lucky woman. He's the lucky man. And, and you knew it at that moment. You didn't want to tell them that, because you thought, well, maybe that's just me. I don't want to get ahead of myself here. But you knew at that moment, or maybe it was for some of you that didn't have that love at first sight, maybe it was after a couple of times that you hung out together or, or actually went out on a date that you began to realize, oh, this is the person for me. I, I, I wouldn't mind spending the rest of my life with this person. You know how I've always looked at it is, I've always, you know, when I dated Anna, I told her, I want to grow old with you. I want to grow old with you. I can picture myself on a rocking chair, on a porch, with her right next to me. And if you can't picture that when you first get married, if you can't say that with your spouse, then maybe that wasn't, or it wasn't at that time before you got married, maybe it wasn't the right one. You know what I mean? But you should be able to see in that spouse someone you want to grow old with. If you can never picture that, Maybe you didn't have the right concept of marriage to begin with, is what I'm trying to say. So the question, one of the questions I'm going to ask, and I'm going to ask a few questions, is it possible for two people to stay in love and be happy forever and ever? What do you think? Yes, yes absolutely. Does it take work? Yes. It takes a lot of work, doesn't it? Yes. Every day, it takes work. Every day. Is it possible to have a love 
relationship for, forever and ever. Yes, it is. Is it possible to be happy forever and ever? Yes, it is. We all think it's possible. In fact, there's a glimmer of hope in every one of us, even if you're struggling with a relationship right now. And maybe you had a bad day this week with your spouse. You don't have to elbow him, him or her. But maybe you had that, that, that relationship where you were just thinking, oh my goodness, why did I marry this man or this woman, right? Some days will be like that, I, I promise you. But deep inside, there's a glimmer of hope. There's hope that it's going to get better. And, and, and it will, amen? See, it's, it's harder to stay in love. It takes sacrifice, it takes work, it takes commitment. Did you know, and I looked this up, there's over 1,600 matchmaking sites online. Wow. You, you've heard of Christian Mingle and I don't know the others. Uh, that's the only one I've ever seen commercials of. But um, there's over 1,600 sites for people to get connected. 1,600. And it's a $2.4 billion business. $2.4 billion. Not million. Billions. And it tells us of the desire that we all have and need for companionship. What did, what did the Lord tell Adam in the garden? It is not good for man to be alone. Why is that? Because we get lost. He knew that, right? <laughs> he knew we needed directions. He knew we needed a GPS system. That's called our wife. Amen. But here's the thing. We want to find that one, that special one. Look at your spouse if she's here or him and tell them you're that special one. You're that special one. Amen. Not just to hook up with somebody and have a one night stand. I'm not talking about that. But forever and ever. Amen. But marriage and relationships are supposed to be forever and ever. Amen. And here's, here's the problem with that. You may desire that. You may want that. But our culture sure doesn't teach that, does it? Our, our culture teaches that it's all right if you have a one-night stand, as long as you don't hurt anybody, as long as you're not bothering them, as long as, as, long as you do, you know, and you're safe and, and, and you live okay, it's, it's all right. Our culture says it's all right. Our culture says, do unto others as they deserve to be done unto, right? It tells them, oh, get them back, or you don't have to do that. They didn't, they didn't respect you. It says, do unto others as so as to get them to do what you want them to do. That's what our culture teaches. It says, do unto others until you are ready to do unto somebody else. In other words, it's the complete opposite of what the Bible teaches us in regards to love and marriage and relationships. It's, it's what's been modeled to us. It's very depressing as a fact. Here's on your outline, this is also listed on there, but here's a list of healthy emotional requirements for marriage. Now listen to this list, and, and our culture does not teach this. Number one, security, encouragement, respect, comfort, support, acceptance, approval, attention, affection, appreciation. Here's a, here's a test. Have you shown those to your spouse this week? Have you shown this to your spouse at any day this week? Have you shown any of these to your spouse this week? There's your homework assignment right there. If you haven't, begin to do that. Begin to share one of them. 
See, all of us want to have security. We want to have encouragement. We want to be appreciated by our spouse. Amen? But here's the problem. We live in a very malnourished society. Did you know that 43% of children today in our generation, in our country, live in a family without a father? 43% of children live in families without a father present. And that's because our, the foundation of that covenant that I was talking about, the marriage covenant, doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean anything. Marriage doesn't even mean anything. People just get together, and if it doesn't work, well, no harm, no foul, and they go on to the next one, and, and they think it's Baskin-Robbins 31 flavors. It doesn't work that way. God's design was never for that to happen that way, amen? And then in addition... Our culture has such a low, low threshold of emotional pain. The first sign that this is going to take work, they're out of there. They jump ship. And, and every one of you here that's been, who's been married here longer than, than 10 years? Raise your hand. Longer than 10 years. Every one of you here that's been married for 10 years, who, who's been married more than 20 years? Raise your hand. Okay. How about more than 30 years? Raise your hand. Okay. See? Now, all of us that have not yet quite reached this milestone, more than 40 years, raise your hand. How many years have you been married, Mike? 58. 58 years. Give her a hand right there. Give her a hand. 58 years. You know, if you want to know what it takes to make a, a marriage last that long, these are the people you need to talk to. Have it, has it been easy? No. No. <laughs> you should see Wayne's face from here. Uh, that's all I'll tell you. You should see Wayne's face. Okay. But here, here's the thing. It takes work. It takes sacrifice. There will be days you want to give up and walk out, right? There will be days you question yourself and say, why did I ever make the choice I made? And there's nothing wrong with saying that. You're just being honest with yourself. But commitment and a covenant says, I'm going to stick with this. I'm going to make it work. God's going to help me. Amen? That's what it takes. People that are just married for a handful of years. It takes work and sacrifice. Don't be so much like this culture that the, the moment you feel pain, emotional pain, you put up walls and you don't want to go there. And, and you, you get out of that relationship. Don't do that. It's not fair to yourself. It's not fair to your spouse. And that's not what God's design was. Amen? We bail out on our soulmate. We bail out. We don't show up. It takes two. It takes two. Look at your, look at your spouse and tell them it takes two. It takes two. Looking for the right one is possible, but it's not probable in the culture we live in, if, especially if we're omitting God from the picture. If you're not looking for God qualities in your spouse, I can promise you one thing. You will have a harder time in this thing called marriage. I promise you that. I promise you that. But here's the great news. Over 2,000 years ago, Jesus came to show us this, this great love. It's a foundation of our Christianity. In John chapter 13, verse 34, which was our scripture verse this morning, he gave us a new command. Now, let me, let me preface by saying love wasn't a new command. They were already commanded to love one another. But what he did, what the new part was, love as I have loved you. See, that was the new command. 
God's love was sacrificial. He went to the cross. He gave his all. Are you giving your all to your spouse? Whoa, that was heavy right there. Are you giving your all to your spouse? Is your love sacrificial this morning? Is your love sacrificial? Because see, it's easy to say, hey, I love you, brother. I love you, sister. I love you, honey. I love you. It's easy to say that really is. But are you backing that up? Are you backing that up with your actions? And I'm going to talk about that this morning. Love is sacrificial. Love will hurt sometimes. Love will hurt. It's not just all a rose garden and petals of roses and you're walking in the air and I love her and she loves me and that feeling, those, those uh, endorphins, I think they're called, they're, they're rising up in you and, and you're just in this, you're out of your mind, right? Because that lasts, that lasts for a small part of your relationship, amen? Real life is not about emotions and oh, she, she just gives me the goosebumps when I get around her. And I just love talking to her on the phone. And his voice is so sweet on the phone. And, oh, she sings so beautiful. And I mean, all those things may be true. But at some point when you get to 30 years of marriage, it gets real, doesn't it? It's real. And it takes work. And those moments where you thought was often cute in the first year, you're like, oh, please give me a break. Right? Right? And, and, and so it takes work. It takes work this morning from all of us. See, Jesus didn't command his followers to feel something. He didn't say, well, when you feel it, no, you know that, you love, that I love you. When you feel those, those feelings, those emotions. What he did was he commanded them to do things, to do some things. What he was saying is love is an action. Love is, is a verb. Love is you go out and do it. And he, 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 he modeled it to us by going to the cross. That is the greatest love any of us here can ever experience is the Lord's love for you because he sacrificed his life for you. Are you as a spouse, are you willing to give sacrificially to your spouse? I, I'm not talking necessarily about taking a bullet for her. I'm not talking about that. But are you sacrificing your life? Are you, are you doing things and, and, and putting yourself to the side and saying, I'm going to make my spouse number one. I, I, I'm going to, if you're the man and, and you're, you're not used to doing domestic chores, are you getting in there and vacuuming and cooking and cleaning, things that maybe you don't normally do, or uh, ironing your own clothes if you don't do that? If you're a woman, are you getting out there and changing the oil? I'm just kidding. But you know what I mean? Are you actually being selfless it's the opposite of selfishness selfishness says well i just got to do whatever i want because to meet my needs yeah everybody wants to have their needs met but in a relationship you must be able to meet the needs of your spouse it can't just always go one way that that doesn't work it doesn't work very well it creates bitterness resentment and that how many know that can that can happen in any relationship but Jesus said, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. What the Lord was saying was, do unto others as I have done unto you. Do unto others as I have done unto you. Have you ever uh, had your wife or, or husband do something for you and you kind of feel guilty because you haven't been doing that for them? 
Have you ever felt that? I think all of us have at some point in our relationship. All of a sudden, they just amaze you and they come out of nowhere and they do something for you. And you're like, uh, oh, wow, I should be doing that for them. And, and that happens. That's what the Lord was talking about. That kind of love, love one another, love one another. And that's doing things unexpectedly. Not just on Valentine's Day. Yeah, Pastor Rick, I love my wife and I told her on February 14th. I even bought her some roses and some chocolate. Well, what about June 15th? What about May 15th or 14th, excuse me? What about December 14th? Are you doing that throughout the year? Or just that once a year? Uh, I I pick on my dad because he he jokes this way and he's actually, this is how he lives. He, he, He wouldn't mind if I shared this, but he goes, well... I, I told your mom 58 years ago that I love her, and unless it changes, I don't need to tell her again, right? That's how he, that's how he is. He's old school. He's been married. It'll be 59 years this uh, July for them, and, uh, but that's what he says. My, I just tell my poor mom, he never says I love you. No, he told me once, and that's it. And that's, how he, that's how he operates, right? And, and it doesn't need to be that way, you know? It should be that you do tell your spouse, I love you. I love you. I love you. I need you. Ephesians chapter 5 says this in verse 21. It says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. There's that word submit. Some of you don't even have that in your own dictionary in your mind because you never use that word. You, you, You see the word submit and you run away. Submit, let me tell you what it means here. It means to literally subordinate or place oneself under the authority of another. But here Paul, he wasn't talking about or calling for an abandonment of personal independence. He wasn't saying that type of submission. This is what he was talking about. He was saying submit to one another. Submission doesn't work unless you're both doing it. It doesn't work in my marriage if, if Anna's the only one submitting to, to, to her husband, but if her husband isn't submitting to her. I need to submit to my honey as well. And that means I need to get out of my comfort zone sometimes. I need to be less selfish. And I need to remind myself of that. That's what submission is. It's a two-way street. Submission never works biblically if it's only one direction. That's not the biblical model. It's supposed to be both of you submitting to one another. How many know that? It doesn't just say, doesn't just say husbands submit. It says submit to one another in that scripture. Amen? This is a two-way avenue again. It only works when both parties work at it. We must work at it. Look at your neighbor, look at your spouse and tell them we both have to submit to one another. We both have to submit to one another, honey. Both of us. If you want to stay in love, you got to quit, quit treating love like a noun and treat it like a verb. you got to make it an action word. The foundation for staying in love is to make love a verb. Make it an action word. How many husbands open your doors for your wife? How many of you still do that? Come on. Come on. You need to do that. If you don't do that, you need to do that. And... I guarantee you, your spouse will appreciate that. Your spouse will appreciate that. How many go on dates? You're, you're married, I know. You, you dated before you got married, but it's still all right to go on a date. Just you and your spouse. 
That's what helps your marriage to stay fresh. And again, husbands, wives, encourage each other. Hey, honey, we need to do a date night. We haven't done a date night. I know it's hard with, with little ones. We got babysitters at our house, Raquel and Bianca. If you have a problem, call us. We'll, we'll babysit your kids so that you guys can go out and have a date, all right? That's not a problem. Talk to them. Get, hooking you up, Raquel, for some babysitting money, all right? But we must be able to make it an action word. Love is an action word. The foundation for love, again, is making it an action word. And, and again, when I say love, it's not to try to recapture those feelings. And here, I'm, I'm going to ask you a question. Let's think about that moment when you first met your spouse. Think about it right now. Every one of you, go back to when you first saw your spouse, when you, when you first started dating. Remember those emotions? Remember that, that, that connection you had with them at that time? And I'm, saying, I'm not saying it's not there right now, but there's something different about when you first meet. Something that happens to your, to your heart. Something, extra little step you have, right? The old... Pep in your step. Glad I didn't trip there. But remember those moments? Remember how it made you feel? Yes, you remember that. But when, when the scriptures here are telling us to love one another, to submit one another, it's not talking about those emotions, just to capture that feeling of emotions. Because emotions are here one minute and gone the next. We can be thrilled one moment, Later today, if the Falcons score a touchdown, I'm going, yes! That's an emotion. And if the Patriots score, I'm going, no! That's another emotion. They're gone in, in 10 seconds, right? And I really don't care who wins the game. But the goal is not to recapture the feelings of love, but to love and put our actions where our mouth is. Put your actions in place. The feelings of love begin to return when you begin to make love an action. When you begin, if you never wash dishes, dishes, husbands, wash dishes. If you never vacuum the floor, vacuum the floor. If you never throw out the trash without your honey having to bug you about those things, then do it. And guess what happens? That appreciation comes back. Oh, you threw out the trash for me, honey? Oh, you wash the dishes? And all of a sudden... She starts treating you really, really nice. And you get rewarded for that, husbands. Amen? <coughs> or is it just me? Okay. <laughs> we have to be in the position of loving one another and, and making it uh, love an action word. Amen? Can I have that water, Anna? It's right next to you on the right and left-hand side. Thank you. Thank you. Everybody say, love is an action word. It is. See, again, the key to staying in love is not about finding the right person. It's not about finding the right person. It's about finding that person that's willing to be committed to Christ with you in a relationship. See, we get too caught up in trying to find that right relationship. And sometimes if you, have, if you start to struggle in your relationship, you may begin to even say, well, Lord, I don't even know if this was the right person for me, right? And we can, we can go down that road, and that's a slippery road. We start going down that road and begin to say and talk like that. 
Because here, again, you made a covenant between you and God and you and your spouse. God can do amazing things in a marriage. Amen? God can restore. God can, can help and bless your marriage. But it's Christ in you that helps you to be that spouse that you need to be. How many know that? It's Christ in you. It's not your ability to, to listen to help uh, you know, me books or, or increase your self-esteem. You must have this word in you. That this is the way that you're going to be a great husband and a great wife to your spouse is knowing this word. I know that for a fact. I know that in my life. Um, Anna is a godly woman very godly woman. That's what attracted me to her is, is the fact that she was a godly woman. I found that so attractive. And before I met her, um, you know, I dated and, and stuff. And, and, you know, I, I'm not even going to go there. But, but the point is, when I met Anna, who was so different than anybody I was dating at that time before, that was so attractive because she was so different. There was something about her that was called the Holy Spirit in her life. And I was like, that's attractive to me. Uh, that's attractive to me. And, and, and our culture teaches that attractiveness is something else, right? If you've ever been to a club, you know what I'm talking about. If you've ever been to a club, the world teaches that attractiveness is, is something else. And... Um, I saw a beauty in Anna, not only on the outside, but on the inside that was just glowing. And I thought, the, the f moment I met her on that Wednesday night, October 10th of 1993, but who's keeping track? I knew I was going to marry her. I knew that right there and then. Now, that may not have happened to you, but the Lord told me, that's your future wife. And I looked at her from that moment as my future wife that night. And... Um, he, he's done an amazing thing in our marriage, in our relationship, because we both respect each other. We both strive for the same goals. That's half the battle in a marriage. If you have the same goals, God will bless your union. God will bless your covenant. Amen? Let me ask you again this morning. What made you fall in love with your spouse? What made you fall in love? Think about that. As you go today, think about what made you fall in love. What attracted you to her or him? Another question is, why do you think there's over 1,600 matchmaking organizations, websites in this country? Again, it goes back to what I said earlier. The Lord saw Adam in the garden and said, it is not good for man to be alone. We, we desire companionship. We desire fellowship. We desire a relationship with someone close. Someone that we can look at in the eye and say, I want to grow old with you on a, on a porch on a rocking chair with a cup of coffee right next to me, my Bible right next to me. But I want to grow old with you. I have that picture when I met Anna and told her that. said, I want to grow old with you. I've never told anybody that in my life. And, and yet I told her that. And um, remember that, Anna? We want to grow old with each other. Can you look at your spouse today and tell them that today? You don't have to do that here. At some point tell them today, I want to grow old with you. And none of you are old here today. None of you. But you will get there one day. And one day you'll grow old together with your spouse. Amen? Here's, here's what I talked to you about romance now. The, the, a couple of points. Three points real quickly. And then we're going to close. Romance, which is an important 
word in our marriage. Romance means different things to different people. Mention the word romance to a woman, and she may think of, and I've mentioned it here before, she may think of a nice candlelight dinner, maybe holding hands, walking along the beach, hearing the surf of the ocean waves with her honey, walking hand in hand in a peaceful area. That may be romance. Mention romance to your husband. That may mean what's going to happen after dinner, right? When the candlelight dinner is over and once you get home. See, men and women think differently about romance, but the importance of it is that we must have romance in our life. You must spark that romance from time to time. Amen? Amen. I need a bigger amen. We must have romance in our lives. Amen? Amen. 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 You worried me there for a second. But here's the thing. There's two extremes in romance with men and women. Have you figured that out? If you've been married for more than a year, you've figured that out real quick. There's, there's different extremes in, with, within our relationships. And it can't be underestimated. See, we must keep those passions alive. If you don't, that flame that once burned bright is going to die. Romance can be holding hands. Don't get me wrong. Romance can be as simple as holding hands. Holding hands with your, with your loved one, with your spouse. It doesn't have to involve... Even anything beyond that physically. Romance could be just a simple gesture of holding hands. But it should be much more than that, especially if you're young and and still vibrant and full of life, right? It should be much more than that. Amen? But it is important that you have romance in your life. Dating helps that. Dating, we go on a weekly date. We date. If we we don't do it on Saturdays, we do it on Sunday in the afternoon, Sunday evenings. We'll go somewhere, even if it's just sitting in front of a park or even going down downtown to the waterfront in Vallejo and putting some chairs on the grass and just hanging out there. We have fun. It, It doesn't have to be going out to a restaurant, going to a movie, something simple, a hike. It's dating. It's keeping that spark alive. It's so important. I cannot emphasize that enough. Amen? Romance, first of all, is self-initiated. Someone needs to initiate romance. It doesn't happen by itself. Just because you two are laying in bed doesn't mean romance is going to happen. Someone's got to initiate it. Can I hear an amen? That's the honest truth. Because both of you, let me, let's just face it. If you're working, if you're, you're getting older, both of you, once you hit the bed, sometimes you just want to go to sleep, right? But other times... You gotta make, you gotta make the time for romance. Am I speaking to you now? It's getting real, right? You gotta make the time for romance. Romance is when you do something unexpected for your spouse. It could be the flowers on May 14th, on June 14th. It could be chocolates. It could be vacuuming the floor. Some of you may find that romantic if your spouse does that for you. Oh, honey, you did the floor. Oh, that's so sweet, right? That could be romantic. Or baking them something. The important thing is to pursue your spouse on your own initiative. You begin that process, amen, without being told to do it. There's nothing worse than your honey telling you to do this or do that, and then you do it. Well, she expected you to do it. But if you do it without them asking, man, that's like, you get a little gold star for that. That's like extra credit right there. Take advantage of that, amen? Amen. 
It should not be the same person, a person initiating romance every time. Let me repeat that again. It should not be the same person initiating romance every single time in your marriage, in a healthy marriage. You want to have a spark in your marriage, I'm talking about that right there. If you can learn that secret there, you will have a spark in your marriage. You will have a healthy relationship. Amen? Amen. Secondly, romance involves communicating value to your spouse. Here's the one, number one thing that we all tend to do if we're married for any length of time. We take our spouse for granted. We take them for granted. Well, well they always do that. They, they, you know, they're, they're always going to love me. They, they, they're the ones that cook, or they're the ones that clean, or they're the ones that take care of the cars, or they're the ones that take care of the children. We take them for granted. And if you're not careful, you lose, you lose value in that. You need to communicate to your spouse that you value them. When was the last time you told your spouse that you value how they are as a mom, as a stepmom, as a dad, as a stepdad, as a grandpa maybe, as a grandparent? When was the last time you mentioned that? See, all of us need to know that we're valued. How many know that's, the, that's true? We need to know that we're valued, especially in your relationship. There's so many things you can do to build your, your spouse's self-esteem. See, self-esteem is tied to that value. If you don't feel valued, you have no self-esteem or lack. You lack in it. But if your spouse is constantly telling you, you're awesome, you're, you're great, you're fantastic, and not just blowing smoke, but just really telling you what they really feel, your self-esteem is just going to shoot up about yourself. Your value is going to increase. And you reciprocate that with your spouse. Man, romance happens. Romance begins to happen. So we must communicate value to our spouse. Through romantic gestures, you can communicate how important she or he is in your life. Amen? And then finally, the third point is romance means learning to speak love in your spouse's language. See, right now, men and women, we speak different languages. Again, if you're married for more than one year, or even less than that, you quickly figure that out. We, we speak completely different languages. Um, I, I listen to uh, Pastor Unger. Anybody ever listen to a pastor named Pastor Unger? I forget his first name. Um, he's in Green Bay. He's, a, he's an expert, or you, if you want to call him that, in the Christian realm on love and relationships. And he has a dynamic, funny way of speaking about relationships. And you know, he picks at us men that... We have this place that we call the, our nothing box. Uh, uh, women, let me just ask you a question. Have you ever asked your, your husband and said, what are you thinking? And your husband will say, oh, nothing. Right? Because we all say that, right? All as men, we say that. And, and, and the women look at you like, nah, I don't believe that. I don't buy that. You got to be thinking about something. Nah, dude, I wasn't really thinking about anything. And this, this pastor, he calls that, Men are nothing box. See, we can go to our nothing box. But women don't have that concept. See, when they're constantly thinking about something because of their, the way they're wired. Because when they're thinking about um, this, it's, it's tied to, to this, which is then tied to that, which is then tied to, did I turn the oven off at home before I came to church? Because their mind is constantly working. But us men... We can actually go to this place called our nothing box. Men, you know what I'm talking about? I pull that box out every now and then. 
And, and my wife goes, what are, you, what are you thinking? I'll tell them nothing. And, and they don't understand that. That's because we speak two different languages. And here's the secret to your marriage. If you really want it to, to work well, you have to learn the language that your spouse speaks. What is it that, that she appreciates that brings her value or him value? What is it that you know is going to spark something in them, is going to encourage them? That's the language you need to be speaking. It's not what you want to hear. It's what, what do they need? So, again, it's being selfless, not selfish. Amen? And, we, and when we begin to understand that we need to speak that language, we communicate. We communicate. Because men and women, we speak two different languages. We really do. It's like if you're speaking to someone from a foreign country sometimes. Men, women, you know that, right? When you get into a discussion, not an argument, into a discussion with your spouse, sometimes it's like they're not hearing you. And, and you, you have to explain things to us men because we're dense sometimes. I, I confess, we're dense and they need to, you need to speak our language, women. Just help us out. You need to speak our language, and we need to speak your language. Amen? So men and women have very different major needs, and we must learn to understand that to learn how to be romantic with each other. We need to learn what, what tickles her fancy, you know, what makes her happy, what makes her content. And once we learn that, we can go back to that and, and, and instead of... Just always concentrating on ourselves. So here's what I want to what I, what I say as well before I go to, to the challenge. Is men typically, here's what we need. Um, men, we typically need honor in a relationship. We need physical relationship, sex, kindred fellowship, and domestic support. Those are typical generalized items for men in a relationship. Women, typically, not always, they need security. They need open and honest communication. They need non-sexual affection. And they need leadership. That's, those are general items. I know I'm not uh, necessarily hitting everything there, but they're generalized items. So you see how different they are when it comes to romance. We're different. And men, women, you have to understand that. Sometimes you need to, to realize it's not what I want. But what does my wife want? What does my husband want? What, does, what do they require? What do they need? And, and when you begin to think that way, it sparks romance in your relationship. Amen? Romance, here's the challenge on your outline. The challenge to each of us this morning is that, first of all, romance makes a better relationship or makes a relationship better because it means both spouses are willing to sacrifice for each other. And here's the scripture that Paul wrote. Paul in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 4 says, Don't look out only for your own interests. Don't be selfish is what he's saying. But take an interest in others too. Take an interest in what your, your spouse is all about. What's making her tick? Men, do you get this question from your spouse? Uh, I'm picking on you men or women. How was your day, honey? How was your day when you come in the door? How was your day, honey? You know, you're still working? Right, fine. It was all right, right? We're, we're quick to answer, right? We're quick to say, I was all right. It was good. It, and, and that's not what she wants. She doesn't care about how your day went. She wants to know, can we have a conversation? Can we open up and have a, just a communication? That's what she wants. 
She don't care if you had an argument with a coworker or if you got late to She wants to know, tell me, from the moment you left the house to the time you got here, how was your day? Did you miss me? She's really asking for that. Um, and men, we're, we're so quick to say, well, let me get back to you. I, I, I'm okay. I just got home. Let me unwind. You know, maybe you've said that. Boy, I got someone laughing over there really hard, so that must have hit home. But we're so different. We're extremely different. Here's another thing. When my wife is late, or let me, let me read it to you this way. When my wife is late or getting ready, it's because she didn't plan her time well. When my kids are late, it's because they slept in and didn't control the circumstances. That's why they were late, right? When my kids lose something, it's because they're irresponsible. Do you see what I'm saying? What I'm doing? I'm saying it's all their fault. Rather than say, no, it's not. Maybe I had something to do with that. It's never just them always. You've got to always remember, and not to be so selfish, but be selfless. Look out for others, not just yourself. Amen? And I know, you know, for most of us, Every, every Sunday when we come, um, we're always, uh, I'm always ready, and, and, and Raquel's always ready with me. We come to church together, and Anna and Bianca come later. They tend to run a little bit slower, okay? It's just slower, and, and I understand that. So Raquel and I are ready, and we get here first, and then they follow behind us. But I understand that. So um, don't be selfish, be selfless, amen? Let's say that with me. Don't be selfish, be selfless. Amen. It's the golden rule principle. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Amen. Amen. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. How would you feel if, if that was you? If, and, and I'm over here. You're always late. You're always late. You can't be on time for anything. How would you feel if that was you? That's not, that's not what you want happening to you. So maybe take a different tactic. Do you think romance is going to happen when I tell my spouse, you're always late. How come you can't be on time for anything? Romance is the furthest thing from her mind at that moment. So you got to use a different tactic. Amen. you got to learn to speak their language. Consider others, not just yourself. What Paul is saying in that scripture, Philippians chapter 2 and verse 4, is he's really saying is that we need to think about the other person and their needs and their interests rather than just thinking about what I need, what I need, what I can get. Amen? A relationship is built on total, complete submission to each other. It has to be both of you submitting to one another. Christ submitted to the task at hand, which was going to the cross. He submitted willingly. He went to the cross. He wasn't, he wasn't forced to go. He willingly went for you, sacrificially. Now, are you willingly able to submit to your spouse this morning? Are you willingly able to, to put your selfish interest aside and say, I want to do what's best for you, honey. I want to do what's best for, for you because I know in the end, that's best for our marriage. That our marriage will grow because of that. If that's you this morning... I want you to know that God is going to bless your marriage. God wants to bless your marriage. He wants to strengthen your marriage. We live in a time and age where, uh, and I've taught my girls this, that 
that there is an enemy out there and the enemy wants to destroy your marriage. He wants to destroy your marriage and he will use any tactic to destroy that marriage. Lies, fear, thoughts that come running into your head. He will use those tactics to destroy your marriage. And you need to stand upon his word, declare his truth, rebuke that devil because the devil's a liar, amen? The devil is a liar and he comes to, he's seeking to kill and destroy you. And if he can destroy your marriage, he can destroy your family. So I want you to join me, not just this month, not just this week at our banquet, but would you make it a point in your relationship to put your self-interest aside and submit to your spouse? Do it, this, do it today. Super Sunday. Super Bowl Sunday. Do it today. And I promise you, that spark of romance might just come back. Amen? That spark of romance might just come and, and, and you'll be amazed at what it does in your life. Amen? And uh, I promise God's blessing is upon that. See, that's a God thing. God wants your relationship to be have a romantic spark. That's part of God's plan for each of us. That's why he gave Adam Eve. It was his helpmate. It was to provide him help and not just directions on the road. When you're in the car, honey, I'm lost. Where do I go? Although that's not too often now with GPS. But your helpmate is there to care for you. Your helpmate is there to, to provide you strength as well and you for, for them. So... How many want to go on that journey this, this year of, of, of developing a new spark in your relationship? Amen? Amen. Let's pray this morning. Father God, I, I want to thank you for my marriage, Lord, and the marriages here that I see represented. And Lord, for those that couldn't make it this morning, I pray that you strengthen our marriages, Father. I pray, God, that you would just intervene when, when the enemy wants to destroy and take what you've created that you would remind us the principles of your word, Father, that declare that, Lord, when you unite us with our spouse, that nothing, nothing should tear us apart from each other. That, Lord, that what you have put together, let no one take apart or tear apart. And, Father, we pray your principles here that we've, we've talked about, that they may be applied to every marriage here today. Lord, that we would not just fall in love with each other again, but Lord, that we would develop a, a, a healthy submission for one another because really that's the key to a loving relationship is a loving, healthy submission to one another. So Father, my prayer is that each one here would be willing to do that in their marriage, that each one here would listen to this message again online and may they learn to apply these principles so that they, in turn, can have a long-lasting, healthy marriage. And Father God, we thank you for your word this morning. We pray your blessings now. Help us to continue and have a great Super Sunday. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen and amen and amen.